The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Good afternoon and welcome to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community. Your host is Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. This hour is designed to inspire, inform, and to help you live better with cancer. Now, here's your host, Kim Tibaldo. Welcome to Frankly Speaking About Cancer, an internet radio show that focuses on informing and inspiring people to live well with cancer. I'm your host, Kim Tebaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. The Wellness Community and Gildas Club have united to become the Cancer Support Community, one of the largest providers of cancer support in the United States and around the world. Our services are offered at more than 170 locations worldwide and online at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. Our show today is being sponsored in part by Cell Gene, Lily Oncology, and Onyx. Body image is a hot topic in the media. It seems like uh, more and more we're hearing about the latest diet fad taken too far, the latest photoshopped magazine cover manipulated too much. Uh, when it comes to cancer, it's important to remember that body image also comes into play, whether it's uh, during treatment or maybe even years into survivorship. In our own uh, cancer experience registry, a research study of more than 6,000 cancer survivors, we have found that nearly 75% of people who have had cancer have concerns about the way that they look today, 75%. Uh, here with us today to talk more about body image and cancer is Michelle Coror fingeret uh, She is uh, a, a Ph.D. She is assistant professor in the Department of Behavioral Science with joint appointments in the Departments of Plastic Surgery and Head and Neck Surgery at the University of Texas MD Anderson Cancer Center. She is a licensed psychologist and has developed an innovative line of research centering on body image issues for oncology patients. Thanks for being here, Michelle. Thank you so much for having me. We also have on the show today Jane O. Smith, breast cancer survivor and president of Still Sassy LLC. Jane's, ex- Jane's experience with cancer inspired her to start conversations about body image in her community. Uh, she has organized several events in the Washington, D.C. area on the topic, including uh, TEDx Bethesda Women last year. Thanks for joining us, Jane. Thank you. I'm grateful to be here. So, um, Michelle, I'm, I'm going to start with you, and we have a lot that we want to um, cover today, so we're going to jump in here. Um, Michelle, you have uh, extensively studied the topic of body image among um, cancer patients. Could you start us off with a basic definition uh, of, of body image and tell us a little bit about really what it is we're talking about today? Sure. Uh, body image is more than just how you look or the way you feel about your appearance. And so I think that's really important for people to understand that body image really involves the entire way you feel about your body, the way it functions. So any changes that you have to your body that affect the way you experience um, your body can affect your body image. So I hope to provide like a, a pretty broad definition thinking about body image in that way. Okay. And so, Michelle, why is this such an important issue for, for, for people with cancer? So I think I t- touched on that a little bit a moment ago, the idea that anything that changes your body can change the way that you experience your body image. So with cancer, um, the illness itself, the tumor can affect your body as well as the treatment. And so um, I'm not surprised to hear your research showing 75% of patient, cancer patients acknowledge having some sort of concern about body image. That actually echoes a lot of my research. And um, I think it's just the idea that there's so many different ways that our bodies can be affected by cancer and that then that therefore means we need to be addressing this issue for patients when they come in for care. So, Jane, let me, let me bring you into the conversation. Um, Jane, you are a, uh, a breast cancer survivor. Could you start by just taking a moment to tell us about your cancer story? Sure. I was uh, diagnosed with breast cancer when I was 53 years old. I had discovered a lump in my breast that was mammogram silent, 
and uh, it did not resolve itself. Initially, they thought it was an infected lymph node, and um, upon further investigation, we found out that it was, in fact, breast cancer. I had a, uh, a mastectomy of my right breast in October of 2008. I was estrogen positive stage 2A. And due to oncotype testing and my medical history, fortunately, I did not need to have chemotherapy. I was on tamoxifen until I went through menopause, and I am now on a Rimadex. And um, and so tell us tell us uh, so since that time when you were um, when you were diagnosed how how long was your uh, how long was your treatment um, tell us a little bit more about the the kind of intervention and and really you know what it, what it was like to get that diagnosis it's very frightening it's overwhelming it's um, life changing and uh, there's a lot of waiting there is a whole new team that gets involved with yourself and your care and your family. There's a lot that happens also that, from my perspective, is not warm and fuzzy. It's very um, cognitive. There's a lot of information to absorb. There's not a lot of time to really process feelings because there's such an acute state of concern about what it is, what needs to happen, how we get it out, and how we stop it. So um, I think that, you know, for the first several months, um, even following my mastectomy, that's really where my head and my life were at. And it really wasn't until probably six months after my mastectomy that I started having some initial thoughts about how my body had changed. So talk to us uh... So talk to us about that, Jane. So obviously in the beginning you're sort of dealing with the uh, dealing with the shock, getting you know getting in to see medical experts, getting your treatment plan in place and agreed to. Um, so you know, so tell us a little bit more about kind of at what point did you start to think about this issue about you know body image? Did it become a challenge for you? How did you start to think about that? Um, you know, it it happens sort of in a, in a complex and subtle way. Um, first of all, what might be helpful for the audience to know is that I opted against an implant um, for several reasons. So I have one breast, and I wear a prosthesis. Um, the first year following my mastectomy, briefly, you know, again, as you said, there were a lot of acute issues, a lot of management issues. Tried to be intact for my, fam- my family and myself and for my children. My daughters at that time were starting high school and the other one was in college. Um, There was a lot that had to do with just getting to figure out how to be fitted for a prosthesis, where to buy the bras, where to find mastectomy swimming suits, um, and like other cancer patients and survivors dealing with insurance claims, anxiety, etc. I really feel that it came to um, the forefront of my thinking kind of during my second and third year after my mastectomy, um, when I became more sensitive to the cultural dynamics of breasts in our society and the power of the media and the incredible rush and messages about women rushing to get implants. Um, A dear friend of mine who's written a wonderful book called Do You Think I Need to Wear Boobs with This Dress? She had a double mastectomy. She likens breasts to peacock feathers in our culture. And um, we focus on them at an early age as girls and and teenagers. We decorate them. Um, We think a lot about their size, their sensitivity. Um, And, of course, they also represent motherhood and nurturing. And one of mine was cut out, and it would be forever missing. So I felt very vulnerable on many levels. And um, I, I feel that once I was able to label and understand what I was struggling with, then the door started opening for me in terms of moving towards processing what this meant and what I was going to do next. So, um, you know, my body betrayed myself in a very intimate way. I think it's different than losing an appendage like an arm or a leg. It's not just about replacing function. Um, And although I can hide my loss from the public, which in many ways is very freeing, I can't hide it from myself. And sometimes even now, and I'm now five years out, uh, I am caught short when I think about what I look like when I'm naked. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So these are these are these are uh, deep, um, I think, intense issues. Um, Michelle, does Jane's experience sound similar to that uh, of other patients? I mean, at what, at what point in the cancer journey do you typically see people kind of starting to think about and, and having these realization, um, the realizations around body image issues? 
So I think the best way I can answer that is to say that every single patient that I work with is unique and different. Their experience and their stories are different. Obviously, you can have commonalities across common themes that come up, but I think the idea is that everybody's cancer journey is so specific to them. And Jane's bringing up, you know, an example of somebody who didn't really struggle with body image initially, and then that came to the forefront later. And that, that is something I have seen a lot. However, I have seen also patients who are very concerned about body image from the very beginning, from when they get diagnosed, and that's a real fear and concern for them moving forward. And for other patients, it might not be until right after the surgery, because um, I've worked with a lot of patients who undergo surgery, and of course, body image can be affected by chemotherapy, radiation, all the other types of treatment as well. So I think that the, the issue is there's a continuum of, of the cancer journey, and I think there's a continuum of body image as well. And so it really can come up at any point in treatment for, for a patient. Um, Michelle, we've got a couple minutes until our, our, uh, our first break here, and I think we're starting to get into some, you know, some really interesting conversation um, on, on this topic. Obviously, Jane shared that she, you know, chose not to, to, uh, to get an implant, and, and um, uh, I, you know, imagine that uh, for women with breast cancer, there are a host of choices um, that they face as it relates to those types of things, to implants or reconstruction, um, you know, all of those different types of things. Um, do you, you know, how much is there sort of an overlap or a synergy between the, those choices and that decision making and the body image conversation? Well, I think that there's two answers to that. One is I think we have to do a lot more research to understand the patient's experience. I think that um, the surgeons need to understand that as well as any of the oncologists and healthcare professionals when they're communicating and working with patients on this issue. But um, in my opinion, the body image piece needs to be addressed uh, early on for, for patients, especially if they're undergoing some type of treatment that is significantly altering their appearance. And I think that in terms of looking at the treatment decisions, for some patients, it's not, you know, we, we can kind of talk about body image in different ways. One is all of the distress and concerns that patients have about body image, but I think we also have to recognize that for those patients where body image is not really kind of factoring into their decision, we might not need to address it until later on, though we should be thinking a little bit about how that's going to play out over time. So what I would say is that I think it's important to address early on, and depending on how much the patient is focused on it, that would dictate how much we address it in the beginning versus later. I hope that answers the question. I mean, I think it's a complex issue. It is. It's a hard answer to, to, yeah. to provide. No, I agree, and we're going to get into this more. But I guess just quickly, Michelle, do you think that um, do you think that those issues around decision-making and around the patient's – I mean, sometimes, you know, we don't know what we don't know in these types of things. And, again, we're just sort of in the face of this diagnosis, which can be incredibly overwhelming, that we're not even thinking about this issue. I mean, is it something that you think the medical team needs to bring up more to say, look, this is something that you need to think about in terms of what your preferences are and what your, you know, values and priorities are, because this is going to be part of some of the decision that you need to make as it relates to your cancer? So there's two parts to that. One is I would first say that the, what I work with physicians a lot here on is bringing the issue to the forefront by first saying it's okay for you to be thinking about this. It's okay for you to mm-hmm. be worried about your body image or to be concerned mm-hmm. about your appearance. To first normalize it and, and right. open the door that if the patient is thinking about it, it gives them permission to, to talk about it, and it, yeah. it creates a space where you can talk about it. And then the second piece is, and if you're not concerned or thinking about this now, I want you to kind of imagine how this might play out for you so that when you're making a decision now, you're at least keeping this in mind. So I yeah. think there's, there's, yeah. you could approach it from both ways depending on where the patient is. But the concern that I have, and this is what my research shows, is that you have patients who are ashamed or reluctant and are concerned to talk about it. Mm -hmm. And so this is why I do think, first, I want to try to empower more patients to bring it up, okay? And then secondly, I want to work with the doctors to to educate them on how they can introduce it and bring it into the conversation as well. So it, it, it goes both ways. Perfect, perfect. It's a great, I think it's a great framework for the start of our conversation. We're going to take a quick break here. We have a lot more to dive into, so don't go away. This is Frankly Speaking About Cancer. We're talking today about body image and cancer. We will be right back.
Effective cancer treatment requires more than just medication or surgery. For the country's 12 million cancer survivors and their loved ones, the social and emotional challenges of adapting to life with cancer are ongoing. How to handle co-workers' questions, how to get comfortable with new physical realities, how to reassure worried family members, or explain to friends your priorities have changed. The Cancer Support Community is ready to help by providing free counseling, education, and hope for survivors and their caregivers. Whether online or at over 100 locations around the world, the Cancer Support Community is ready to offer the support you need to live a better life with cancer. For more information on support groups, publications, nutrition, exercise programs, and more, call 1-888-793-9355 or visit us online at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. That's cancersupportcommunity.org. The Cancer Support Community, a global network of education and hope. Cancer Support Community is proud to be a partner of Magnolia Meals at Home, a new pilot program that aims to help patients by providing nourishing meals to households affected by breast cancer so loved ones can spend more quality time together. This program is currently available in and around two pilot cities, Andover, Massachusetts and Woodcliffe Lake, New Jersey. Participants will receive one delivery of meals every month for up to six months when enrolled in the program. Each delivery includes up to seven meals designed to help meet the nutritional needs of people living with breast cancer and 10 meals for family members. This novel program is brought to you by the AZI Women's Oncology Program, Magnolia, Cancer Care, the Cancer Support Community, and Meals on Wheels Association of America. To find out if you or loved ones are eligible, visit online at www.magnoliamealsathome.com or call 617-733-5848. Hi, I'm Nick Nicolaitis, President and CEO of Morphotech, and we're delighted to be a sponsor of Cancer Support Community's Frankly Speaking About Cancer series. Morphotech and its parent company, Azi, are committed to human health care, and we recognize that patients and their families are the most important participants in the health care process. We salute our global advocacy partners who are devoted to improving the lives of people touched by cancer every day. Cancer. It's a lonely word. Terms I don't understand. Choices I never thought I'd have to make. But there is hope and help. Support from cancer survivors. Links to research and clinical trials. Help with finances and access to care. All behind you at Breakaway from Cancer. Created by Amgen to empower cancer patients. The cancer support community is proud to be a partner of Breakaway from Cancer. You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. Welcome back to Frankly Speaking About Cancer, sponsored in part today by Azi, Genentech, and Amgen. I'm Kim Tibaldo, and we're talking about body image and cancer. Uh, in this next segment, we'll be uh, talking a little bit more about kind of typical body image concerns, if, if, if there are even such a thing as typical body image concerns, um, really what researchers are learning uh, about them and how healthcare teams are, are handling these challenges. We started uh, to talk about that a little bit in segment one, but we really want to take the time um, to drill down uh, on that a little bit more uh, in this uh, next part of our conversation. Um, Michelle, tell us a little bit more uh, about your work, about your research. What kinds of patients um, do you work with and, and uh, what kind of research are you doing? Because I think it's just really fascinating. Thanks. Yeah. Um, my research, I would say, is kind of focused in three areas. And the first piece has really been understanding more about the body image issues that cancer patients face. I think that's a really critical piece is that we have to get some descriptions from patients about their experiences to understand what the specific types of concerns are. And so going back to the definition that I provided a body image in the beginning is this idea that it's not just about appearance, but also about ways your body functions and how those things can change with cancer. So part of it is just trying to get an understanding of the nature of the concerns that patients have and how extensive they are. So how it affects their lives in terms of um, their behaviors, whether they're 
They're not doing things they used to enjoy doing because they're so concerned about body image. Another piece is on the treatment decision-making. So that kind of dovetails with what we were talking about before. I have a real interest in helping understand more how to take body image issues into consideration when a woman is facing breast reconstruction and uh, options. And so that's part of my research. And then the, the, the last part is to actually test and develop new treatment interventions, counseling interventions, very brief, focused. Um, right now I'm working on a four-session intervention, for example, that I'm using with head and neck cancer patients right after they've had surgery. And it's the idea is to give patients support that they need and tools that they can use to help them cope and learn to accept um, body image changes and adjust to them. So those are the kind of the three areas of research that I do. And mostly I have focused on patients with head and neck and breast cancer um, because those are really two patient groups where we know body image issues are very prevalent. But the research will show, and I've recently been doing some literature reviews in this area, and we have some publications that have come out on this, that there are many other patient populations where body image issues are now being studied, many other cancer patient populations. So testicular, prostate cancer, gynecological cancers, there's, uh, there's many, many other. And I think it's a growing area, and I'm very excited about the fact that there are more and more people that are now trying to get into this field and look at it. You know, Michelle, you said something in the earlier segment that um, that caught my attention, and that is um, really educating patients about the fact that it's okay to be concerned um, about these issues, that, they, that, that it's okay to bring that up. So, so what, why, why do you say it in that way? Do you think because patients think that somehow it's, it's shallow to think about this when they're, in the, where, when they're, you know, perhaps facing a serious cancer diagnosis or that this piece is, you know, less important, let's say, than the, than the treatment piece? Tell me about that. I think that, that and, and of course, I'd, I'd obviously want to hear Jane weigh in on this in a moment. Yes. The yes. idea that... Um, Patients have expressed to me feeling guilty or ashamed because they're worried about being seen as vain, and they feel like they should just be focused on, um, you know, surviving the cancer, and it's very hard for them at times to bring this up uh, with their healthcare providers because of that shame that they feel. And a lot of times when I tell them it's okay, a reaction that I get is crying. Patients will tell me, you know, nobody's talked to me about this before, and, I, and I'm so glad you're bringing this up. So... Um, that's been my experience as a clinician because I not only do research in this area, I also work with patients um, in the care centers to help them with the body image issues. It, through counseling and, and things like that? Right. We have an established program here where we see patients um, at any stage of treatment to help them address body image issues. Jane, you know, talk to us a little bit um, about that. Did you address um, body image issues with your with your um, healthcare team? You know, how did it, how did they react if you did? And I and and um, you know, you shared with us in the first segment that you made the decision not um, to have an implant when you had your mastectomy. What was that conversation like with your with your healthcare team? In terms of talking about body image issues with my healthcare team, I didn't talk with them directly about it. Um, both Michelle and I have sort of talked, used the, the analogy about opening a door, and the door was never opened for me. Mm-hmm. Um, there were questions about pain and depression, um, but no one said anything that would invite some reflection and open dialogue about what to do to deal with this dilemma or how to deal with it. Um, support groups were offered to me, and so was a lot of literature. You know, you'll find um, as a cancer patient that there's a lot of encouragement to seek counseling. And I am in favor of seeking professional help when we think we need it. But to me, the metrics of recovery from my mastectomy weren't really about, you know, exercise or nutrition or following a medical regimen or talking about what happened. Um, For me, true recovery really meant bouncing forward in terms of my own sense of self-esteem and self-care and re-engagement with with the world. Um, It's also about helping my loved ones engage with me about my body image and their image of my body. Um, So body image is really about engaging with myself on a very deep level in a variety of personal and sometimes public circumstances. It's really about embracing the visual and physical parts of who I am and realizing that I can inspire it through self-talk and healthy behaviors. So, So I guess you know, long story short, um, no, nothing was openly conveyed to me about this part of the cancer paradigm for moving forward. 
Um, and then you had asked briefly about my decision not to have an implant, and I'll just say that, you know, obviously it's a, it's a very individual decision. At the time, yep. I was 53 and had been married for quite a long time. Um, I didn't want anything fake in my body. I felt like I had already gone through enough physical insults through, um, you know, the diagnosis and treatment, and I wanted to feel when I laid on my stomach in bed, I wanted to just feel my body. Um, also, the plastic surgeon, although he didn't really directly talk about body image, I met with him before my mastectomy um, to discuss this as an option in terms of implants because they can begin some of those procedures during that surgery. Mm-hmm. And um, it sounds pretty funny. It really is. I mean, there's a lot of dark humor in this and some pretty funny stuff as well. But he told me that after giving me a physical exam, even though I was in very good shape physically, that um, my implant would be a bit perkier than my other breast. So, <laughs> <laughs> you know, something, something else to think about. Um, and obviously there are additional risks associated with having implants and some long-term management issues that need to be taken into account as well. So I decided with the support of my husband that, you know, for me at that time, it wasn't an option, and I do have the opportunity at any time to change my mind because insurance will cover a mastectomy, or not a mastectomy, an implant if I decide to go that route. But mm-hmm. five years after, I'm still very glad that I made the decision not to have one. That you made, yeah. Um, you know, Michelle Jane talked about how, it's, you know, sometimes getting a conversation started is about opening the door, and that door, door about body image was never really opened um, by her team. So, so Michelle, generally speaking, um, do you think healthcare teams are doing a good job um, in handling these issues with their patients? Or is, is, is Jane's experience the more common experience in terms of folks not bringing this up, the healthcare team not bringing this up, or is it a more, you know, rare experience based on your research and observations? Hmm. I think that's a hard question for me to answer because obviously when I'm there and I'm present, I'm, I'm what was referred to as the body image lady. <laughs> and so... <laughs> They're going to, you know, the issue is going to get addressed when I'm there. But um, I, I think, here's my opinion. I think healthcare providers try to do everything they can to address, broadly speaking, psychological and social issues for their patients. I think they mm-hmm. try very hard. And I think that some are more adept at doing this than others. Right. Um, because I work in a plastic surgery center or what, you know, our reconstructive surgery center, I think body image is, is more present there. And I think that they, they are a little bit more in tune with addressing that since the whole idea of reconstructive surgery is to restore body image. Um, But I think that the issue is how they go about doing it at times because what, Mm -hmm. when my experience, what I've seen is a variant and I think um, we might, um, we might get into this a little bit more, the idea that, that the healthcare team will come in and immediately comment on how great the patient looks. You know, you look great, you're doing great. And um, that's their way of trying to address body image by saying, especially if it's a reconstructive surgery, and it could be head and neck, breast, you know, it's not all about breast. Body image is, is very much an issue for patients of different types of cancers. But the idea that they get feedback about how good they look or how great things are going for them or how much they've improved in their function, and that kind of shuts the conversation down. Because it's not asking, how are you doing? What concerns, if any, are you having? And so this is really the work that I am very passionate about is trying to help educate nurses and physicians assistants and oncologists and surgeons Mm -hmm. on how they might be able to do this better. Right. Well, and I, you know, I look at it, it, you know, it it takes a village, as they say, and, and, you know, when you're dealing with, um, you know, surgeons and medical oncologists, you know, they're surgeons and they're medical oncologists, you you know, and their their expertise is to treat the cancer. You, Michelle, are a, you know, you're a psychologist and you're an expert in the social and emotional, you know, issues that, that, you know, that patients face. So I imagine that sort of multidisciplinary approach is really critical in making sure we are caring for the whole patient. Mm -hmm. That's the you goal. Agree? Yeah, that's the it, goal. Yeah. That's that's the yeah. standard. I, mean, I think that's it, the standard. I think, I think it we're really is. For. Yeah, and I mean, you know, obviously, you're in a, you know, you're in a, a you know, a larger um, institution that, you know, probably has a more multidisciplinary approach. I know a lot of folks are, you know, obviously in a smaller community setting where maybe they're not necessarily a team of psychologists and social workers and navigators to help, um, to help, uh, you know, patients understand these issues. Um, Jane, we've got a couple minutes, um, you know, until our break here. Michelle talked a little bit about, um, you know, the the work 
work to educate the healthcare professionals about raising these issues and how they are important to patients. Um, I imagine, Jane, you agree it's also critical that we educate patients and consumers to let them know that these are important issues that they really should feel comfortable raising with the healthcare team, yeah? Absolutely, and and I think that it's it's really about you know not having somebody take care of this for you. At some point, we have to reengage with the world, and I think that by finding Michelle, and I was so delighted to find her and her research because I had a difficult time finding anything really around body image when I decided that that's really what I was grappling with. She validated the fact that yes, this is a legitimate and normal concern, and it's a phase that you know, is, is individual to everyone. Um, but more, almost more than anything, as simple as it sounds, just to know those words are okay to think about. Um, that, I sh- that I can think more about that and not just about, you know, take off my breasts and I'm glad I'm alive. That you, you know, of course I feel that way. But I also want to feel like I can, you know, walk into a business meeting, go to the grocery store, put on a nightgown, do the things I normally have done, feeling mm-hmm. as though I am whole and intact and still can define myself as, as a beautiful woman, understanding that, you know, my definition has changed, but that I can have that same feeling about myself. That's what I want. It's, it's uh, beautiful words, and I think uh, a great way to move um, into our uh, into our next break here. Um, well said, Jane, and I think very um, inspiring uh, for our listeners. This is frankly speaking about cancer. Uh, we're talking today about body image uh, and cancer. We're learning a great deal from our two uh, terrific guests, uh, Michelle Kovorov-Fingeret and Jane O. Smith. We're going to take a quick break here. Don't go away. We have a lot more that we'd like to uh, talk about today. We'll be right back. People living with breast cancer often find it difficult to ask for help, and many of the people in their lives want to help but don't know how. During National Breast Cancer Awareness Month, Cancer Support Community is proud to support Meal Trains sponsored by Magnolia, which utilizes Mealtrain.com, a free shared online calendar to streamline the process of giving and receiving meals for families coping with breast cancer. Help us reach our goal of 1,000 new breast cancer-specific meal trains this October. To learn more, visit Mealtrain.com slash MMT and enter the code MAGNOLIAB or visit us at CancerSupportCommunity.org. Hi, I'm Nick Nicolaitis, President and CEO of Morphotech, and we're delighted to be a sponsor of Cancer Support Community's Frankly Speaking About Cancer series. Morphotech and its parent company, Azi, are committed to human health care, and we recognize that patients and their families are the most important participants in the healthcare process. We salute our global advocacy partners who are devoted to improving the lives of people touched by cancer every day. Cancer. It's a lonely word. Terms I don't understand. Choices. I never thought I'd have to make. But there is hope and help. Support from cancer survivors. Links to research and clinical trials. Help with finances and access to care. All behind you at Breakaway from Cancer, created by Amgen to empower cancer patients. The cancer support community is proud to be a partner of Breakaway from Cancer. Effective cancer treatment requires more than just medication or surgery. For the country's 12 million cancer survivors and their loved ones, the social and emotional challenges of adapting to life with cancer are ongoing. How to handle co-workers' questions, how to get comfortable with new physical realities, how to reassure worried family members, or explain to friends your priorities have changed. The Cancer Support Community is ready to help by providing free counseling, education, and hope for survivors and their caregivers. Whether online or at over 100 locations around the world, the Cancer Support Community is ready to offer the support you need to live a better life with cancer. For more information on support groups, publications, nutrition, exercise programs, and more, call 1-888-793-9355 or visit us online at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. That's cancersupportcommunity.org. The Cancer Support Community a global network of education and hope.
You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. Welcome back to Frankly Speaking About Cancer, sponsored in part today by AstraZeneca, Millennium, the Takeda Oncology Company, and Purdue Pharma. I'm your host, Kim Tibaldo, and today we're here with Michelle Coror-Fingerat, Ph.D. at the uh, University of Texas MD Anderson Cancer Center, and Jane Smith, breast cancer survivor, communication specialist, and advocate. Uh, Michelle, when we hear about body image in the media, we often first uh, think of it as something that, you know, particularly affects women. We've also heard that um, women may be, uh, frankly, maybe more likely to seek support and, and support services um, during the cancer journey. That's certainly our experience at Cancer Support Community. We provide support services to more women than men in general. But um, but what about men, um, Michelle? Could, could you shed some light on how they are? are dealing with and handling uh, body image issues. You talked about how, you know, there's been a lot of focus in breast cancer, but you do work in head and neck cancer. You've talked about kind of growing a conversation in testicular cancer and prostate cancer. Um, can you talk about the male side of this equation? Sure, and I, I really appreciate you bringing that up because I think it's it's vital that we don't think about this as, as a woman's issue. We need to think yeah. about this as a cancer issue, and it yeah. affects both men and women. Um, it's true, of course, that I think women are more apt to seek support. I find that in my own uh, clinical experience. But with the men, um, it's a very different type of a therapeutic process that I go through with a man when we are in therapy together. And that's because I think getting him to come forward and, and acknowledge these issues is is a huge barrier to overcome for them. But when they do, it's been my experience that the therapy is very intimate. And what I mean by that is um, this is like the safest place that a man has to express his fears and concerns. Most of the time, men will come into my program because they're having trouble going back to work. Maybe they're very self-conscious either about their appearance or about their inability to speak and or swallow in the same way that they used to. And this is a real issue that men grapple with on um, a lot of times because they're not comfortable showing their vulnerability even to their family members. So um, I have very rich clinical encounters with a lot of my male patients when they're, when they're able to kind of take that step and allow somebody to help them address um, the way that their body has changed and how that's affecting their life. I, I think that, um, uh, you know, with, with Jane talking, you know, openly today about her decision not to, um, not to have an implant, obviously a, an issue, a concern, um, you know, for many women with breast cancer is, is the idea of a mastectomy. And then as we talked about, all of the options that go along with that, do, you know, do, do I get an implant? Do I have breast reconstruction? Do I not have breast reconstruction? There are different types of breast, uh, you know, breast reconstruction. Um, how much does that, how much does that issue of, of reconstruction, you know, weigh in? I mean, Jane, you know, was very kind of clear about the way she was thinking about her decision making. And, and I think it's great for her to, you know, share with us that she still feels really good years later about, um, about the decision that she, she made. But, um, Michelle, how much, you know, are women sort of weighing that idea, you know, when they have a mastectomy around re- reconstruction and, and how does that really link to, to body image? Oh my gosh, it's such an issue. And I mean, you back, back up before even the options for reconstruction. Now there's options obviously for nipple sparing mastectomy. I mean, there's kind of, there's even more that's being brought into play here. And the other issue that you see a lot is whether or not women are going to have a contralateral prophylactic mastectomy, meaning they're going to take the, the other breast. If there's only cancer on one breast, they're so worried about cancer being in the other breast that they want to go ahead and take that breast too. And then you have to worry about that affects what type of reconstruction you might do. So I think that this treatment this decision-making process, and, you know, it's, I think it's so wonderful that we have a representation here from Jane of a woman who chose not to have reconstruction because that is obviously an extremely viable option, but it's so overwhelming, and I don't think, I, I do think that the reconstructive surgeons do a good job of presenting the options and, and trying to help the patient through that process, but I think we can improve upon it, and that's why we need more research in this area. That's where that information is going to come from, but um, it's very daunting, and um, women oftentimes don't have a lot of time to make those decisions, and they feel like kind of pressured into it, 
And then you have some women who regret their decision or they, they really question it after the fact. And you have other women who are able to embrace it. And then you have other women, and I, and I want to speak to at least part of the audience who might be here, who are very clear in what they want. They, they mm-hmm. listen to the options. They make a decision. They move forward. Um, and body image is a part of it, and they're concerned about it, but it's not something that overwhelms them. So I just want to make sure that we're all on the same page, that body image is, doesn't ha- is not necessarily this thing that is, you know, so ultimately uh, distressing in an extreme way that patients can't move forward. It's like that for some, but not for others. There's a whole range of experiences. Yeah. I just have to mention um, before I, I have a, a, a question that I want you to think about, Jane, but before I mention that, I just I have to mention that here at Cancer Support Community, we do have a a uh, counseling program, a decision counseling program called Open to Options, and we have a helpline where we have uh, we have uh, licensed uh, uh, counselors who are trained in this program called Open to Options, and it really is to help someone with decision making. The doctor can lay out the clinical data for you, but really, when it comes down to it, what are your priorities? What are your preferences? What are your values? And so, we have a great team of of, uh, of counselors who will kind of get on the phone with you and walk you through this process of weighing the options, bringing your values and preferences and priorities into the equation when making a deci- any decision related to your cancer, your cancer treatment. And, um, you know, we certainly, I know, have counseled some folks as it, you know, relates to uh, some of these issues about, you know, reconstruction, not reconstruction, lumpectomy versus a mastectomy, things like that. So I just want to, I want to let folks know about this open to options program and counseling program. It's a free program and you can call our helpline and, and, and set up an appointment. It's a 45-minute uh, phone an appointment with one of our counselors to kind of walk through that process. If if if, um, if folks would find that uh, if folks would find that helpful, we have that available. Um, you know, Jane, I, I, I know that sometimes friends and family members don't necessarily know. Um, how to react to, to someone with cancer, particularly when it relates to certain body image issues. For example, when someone loses their hair, when someone does perhaps look different um, after surgery. I, you know, I think folks' initial reaction, as you were saying, even the doctors, but I think uh, uh, our friends and family, you know, the, the reaction is, "Boy, you look great," um, and, and maybe you maybe you don't feel like you do look great. And, and um, I, but it's difficult because I think folks want, um, you know, they want to be supportive. But but how do you deal with those kinds of comments from from well-meaning? friends who uh, who are around you and any advice for loved ones or caregivers or support people who are listening today in terms of how to support their loved one through some of these body issue challenges? I, I appreciate the question. That's a, that's a huge question. Um, and as you said, you know, most people don't know what to say and the majority of them really do care. So I think to understand that that person's coming from a place of, of intent to make you feel better and more comfortable. Um, yeah. I know that at times when I would, someone would say that to me, um, I might respond with, you know, something like, thank you. I'm struggling with this changed body of mind and I would leave it at that. You know, that I don't have to go down a bunny trail for a long time, but I want them to understand that I am struggling with this changed body. Um, One of the most valuable pieces of advice I was given from my discharge planner after my mastectomy was that I was not responsible for how other people viewed me after my surgery. And that was like a huge burden off my shoulders because I think so often, especially women, we're concerned about what the viewer, you know, what what the other person sees and feels and we want to make them feel better. So I really let a lot of that go, which really helped. And I think that when people know that they're going to be engaged in a conversation with someone who hasn't seen them or who is worried about them, think about what you might want from that person before you respond. You can go deeper or you can simply say, I'm bouncing around a bit and I'm sure you understand, or you can just say thank you. And, uh, again, you know, you don't have to justify anything. I encourage people to stay in a place of peace with themselves as much as possible. You can drive the bus about what you want to share and how and when you want to leave a conversation. So you've got the power. You really do. And um, if, if you feel like you're especially vulnerable, you don't need to respond at all, or you can just acknowledge and say thank you. Yeah, yeah. No, I think it's a great, it's a great uh, you know, message for folks to just really, you know, be, be empowered and don't be shy yeah. to share, you know, how you're feeling or to give a more perhaps realistic, you know, answer or, uh, 
oh, you know, or response, but also, again, as you said, reminding reminding folks that people are coming from a place of caring and may just not quite know where to put themselves and, you know, what to say to be uh, uh, to be supportive. Uh, Michelle, just on, on yeah. this, you know, on this same theme, we've only got a couple minutes until our uh, uh, till our break here, but, you know, have you seen this kind, kind of thing with your with your uh, patients in terms of kind of struggling with de- dealing with friends and family and, and you know, what, what's some advice that, that you give them in, in coping with those uh, yeah. issues? Oh, this is this occupies a lot of therapy time. And mm-hmm. um, what I'll say, I mean, I had a patient who I thought gave some fantastic advice, um, and I passed this along to a lot of my patients. She told me that after her surgery, and I think she had had, um, uh, it might have been an orbital exoneration, so she had her eye removed, and um, she basically said to people, you know, it's it's hard for me right now to, for you to tell me how good I look. And so she gave the same kind of feedback that Jane was giving in an assertive way. Thank you, thank you for caring. But instead of telling me you look good, what would be helpful when I, when you see me the next time is to say it's good to see you. I'm so glad to see you. Mm-hmm. And so she would give people the words to say um, to kind of help get away from that automatic response. But I do think that another part of it is, and Jane touched on this, being able to embrace it. People are giving you feedback, and what you need to do at times is be able to kind of understand that what they're saying is how they see you. And even if you don't buy it, right, you don't, you don't, you think they're just being nice or whatnot, you're making a lot of assumptions there. And mm-hmm. you know what happens when we make assumptions? When people, mm-hmm. you know, uh, it, it, you, you never know, you cannot read minds. You are not clairvoyant. You do not know what somebody's thinking. You only know what they're saying. And you need to take people at their word um, and be able to work towards accepting a compliment. So I think Jane is beautiful when you're talking about being able to say thank you and leave it at that. And I, I would just like to remind people that you really have to know the way they see you is mm-hmm. not the way you see yourself. And once you understand that, and it's okay for them to see you differently. You don't have to make, you know, you're never going to make them see you like you see yourself. Sure. But kind of get, getting that I think is really important. And we were, I work a lot with patients on that in counseling. Yeah, it's just a really interesting, you know, issues um, that you're bringing up. And I, I you know, we've done uh, a couple of radio shows. So some of the themes that you're talking about remind me of um, uh, issues around sexuality uh, and, and cancer. And we've done some, uh, you know, some shows around that and some of the intimacy issues that, that folks face, you know, during and, and, and after treatment. And again, those issues not being brought up by the medical team, people feeling uncomfortable, um, bringing them up or thinking maybe this is the last thing I should be thinking about. Um, and you know, of course, you know, issues as they relate to, to, to loved ones, spouses, family members. So, um, you know, it's sort of interesting, uh, thematic issues here. Um, we, uh, we've got more to talk about here on this issue of body image uh, and cancer. We have to take a quick uh, commercial break, uh, but we're going to be back in just a minute, so please don't go away. This is Frankly Speaking About Cancer, and we will be right back. Cancer Support Community is proud to be a partner of Magnolia Meals at Home, a new pilot program that aims to help patients by providing nourishing meals to households affected by breast cancer so loved ones can spend more quality time together. This program is currently available in and around two pilot cities, Andover, Massachusetts and Woodcliffe Lake, New Jersey. Participants will receive one delivery of meals every month for up to six months when enrolled in the program. Each delivery includes up to seven meals designed to help meet the nutritional needs of people living with breast cancer and 10 meals for family members. This novel program is brought to you by the Azi Women's Oncology Program, Magnolia. Cancer Care, the Cancer Support Community, and Meals on Wheels Association of America. To find out if you or loved ones are eligible, visit online at www.magnoliamealsathome.com or call 617-733-5848. Effective cancer treatment requires more than just medication or surgery. For the country's 12 million cancer survivors and their loved ones, the social and emotional challenges of adapting to life with cancer are ongoing. How to handle co-workers' questions, how to get comfortable with new physical realities, how to reassure worried family members, or explain to friends your priorities have changed. The Cancer Support Community is ready to help by providing free counseling, education, and hope for survivors and their caregivers. Whether online or at over 100 locations around the world, the Cancer Support Community is ready to offer the support you need to live a better life with cancer. 
For more information on support groups, publications, nutrition, exercise programs, and more, call 1-888-793-9355 or visit us online at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. That's cancersupportcommunity.org. The Cancer Support Community, a global network of education and hope. You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. I'm Kim Tibaldo, and this is Frankly Speaking About Cancer. Today's show is sponsored in part by McKesson, Giving Comfort Program, Bristol-Myers Squibb, and Morphotech. We've been having a great discussion today about uh, body image and cancer. Um, I want to continue. Um, Michelle, there have been quite a few celebrities, really, who've raised the, the uh, awareness of, of body image and cancer uh, in the media. Certainly Angelina Jolie and her, um, you know, her preventative mastectomy, um, you know, the late Roger Ebert and his openness about his thyroid cancer. You know, Christina Applegate has been very open about her breast cancer diagnosis. You know, what role do you think that celebrities in the media are playing in really influencing, you know, attitudes towards body images, you know, the body image issue really in this context? Well, I think they play an enormous role. I don't think there's any question about it. And, and I think it's both, uh, depending on who you're talking about and, and how they're uh, discussing this, you know, there's there's positives and negatives. And obviously, I always like to focus on the positives first. <laughs> and <laughs> just just being, um, you know, the idea that, especially for women like Christina Applegate and Angelina Jolie, they, they have their uh, mastectomies, they have their reconstruction, they're open about it, they go back to work, you know, we we see them kind of returning to their life. And, of course, we don't really know how this is all affecting them. We only know what they're saying in the public forum. And, yeah. and I think that it's, it can be very inspirational for women and help them because I've got to be honest with you, I've, I've worked with patients who um, have had difficulty with even making the decision to have a mastectomy and, and delaying their treatment because they're so concerned about how they're going to live after, you know, with a new breast or how they're going to deal with that moving forward. And, and to see these women kind of come forward, these celebrities come forward and do it and move forward, I think that can be very helpful. Um, and with Roger Ebert, oh my goodness, I mean, you know, he was isolated for a very long time and then he came out into public kind of towards more towards the end and allowed people to take photos of him and all that. And I think that was very helpful just to bring those issues to awareness. My concerns really have to do with the idea that, and, and I just remember this from Christina Applegate in particular, I think she was very, very happy with her reconstruction and talking about how much, you know, how great her breast looked afterwards. And, and the only thing we have to be careful about there is not having a misconception that you're going to go and have reconstruction and your boobs are going to look great. Mm-hmm. Um, they looked great in her eyes. She, uh, as, as she talked about it, and I, I don't remember whether Angelina Jolie talked about it in this positive way as well, but um, we have to be very careful about setting realistic expectations for women, and this isn't about going and just, like, I'm going to get some new boobs and they're going to be great. Mm-hmm. And so that's that's kind of where I feel. I don't know, Jane, what, it, what your reactions were um, to, to these things coming out in the media and how it has affected you and your own journey. Well, I, I, you know, I, I really agree with you, Michelle, on many levels. You know, these are all huge procedures. They're huge. I mean, they should never be taken lightly. And um, the insult to the body just physically is enormous. Um, and obviously, you know, there are many other dimensions that affect, you know, your mental health, your spiritual health, your, you know, your desire to move ahead. Um, not everyone has the tools or the level of support or the resources that they do. So I wish that they would talk a little bit more about prevention, too. You know, I mean, we get so deep into, well, what are you going to do about this? And, you know, this is really simple. It's not a snap. And rather than concentrating, you know, from a place of, of I'm just going to happily move ahead, no, we need to prevent this. We need to spend more time and energy really figuring out how to prevent it as, 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 as someone who does not want to pass this on to my daughters or, or others as well. And I also wish that with those discussions about what they're going through, that they would give us some tools that would just help us learn from them about how they engage in conversations with the people they love about it. And I mean really heartfelt, honest conversations. Um, we do need, we need to know the words so that we don't 
build fear into the minds of people who love us so that we can have healthy relationships with them and so we can re-engage with our bodies even though they are changed. So it's, it's not a slam dunk, you know, quick fix, we all look like Barbie and, and move on. It doesn't happen yeah. that way. Yeah, and I, you know, I have to say, particularly on the on the uh, Christina Applegate front, I know that, uh, you know, I know that she had a very high genetic risk um, for cancer and and was monitored very closely. But she really came to the realization that not all women did have the resources to have the same level of monitoring that she did. So she actually did start a foundation um, to make sure that women who were at high risk did have the resources for sort of heightened screening, um, so that you know a cancer could be detected, or so that they had the tools to make the decisions that that. Uh, you know, that they felt were the best decisions for them. So I do have to take my hat off to her in terms of um, not only sharing her story openly, but also really working hard to, to, to contribute dollars and raise dollars to make sure that um, uh, that other women were able to have access to the same level of screening that she did women who were at, uh, at genetic risk. Um, but I do, obviously, these celebrities do have a, an incredible, uh, you know, influence in, in, in all of our lives and particularly in these types of, uh, types of issues. Um, we are, um, unfortunately, getting to the end of our show, so I want to ask um, each of you if you um, have uh, uh, resources for our listeners, places where they can go if they're struggling with these body image issues, any, any, any resources that you can suggest, websites that you can suggest, and also, Michelle, if there's a place where folks can learn more um, about your research, I, you know, I'd love to have you each just take a minute to talk about that. I'll start with Michelle and ask you, um, Jane, as well, for, for uh, you know, tips and resources for our listeners before we wrap up today. So, Michelle? Sure. I mean, I think it goes without saying, and, and, and Kim, you've discussed this, Cancer Support Community is a, is a great resource. And I think the, the biggest issue that we have to understand is, you know, people out in the community who aren't necessarily at these larger cancer centers um, need to know where, where can they go that's more of a national resource for them. Um, people may be familiar with American Cancer Society who has a program called Look Good, Feel Better. Um, that's something that you might want to look into, and that's a program that um, you can access across the country. Um, I know Cancer Care has uh, services available, Live Strong as well. I tend to utilize a website that's called Shop Well With You. It's actually very interesting. It has a number of resources, including articles on body image and information on clothing-specific needs of cancer survivors. Mm. Um, so that's something that I have uh, utilized in my work. And then I also have... Um, a workbook that I use with patients, which actually can be a self-help workbook. It's called the Body Image Workbook, an eight-step program for learning to like your looks, and it's by Tom Cash. It's got a lot of great stuff in there, and I utilize that a lot with my patients. So um, in terms of finding more information on me, the Internet is a wonderful tool. You can just look <laughs> up my name, Fingerette, and Body Image, and you'll find all kinds of stuff because there's only one of me and there's not that much on body image. So when you put the two together, you can find a lot of the work that I've done. And also on the MD Anderson website, there's going to be information about my program. So Great. And, Michelle, I'm going to spell that for our listeners. Finger it to F. F is in Frank, I-N-G-E-R-E-T. Is that right? Finger it's like finger with an E-T. Mm-hmm. There you go. Finger with an E-T at the end. Finger at body image. Take a look at Michelle's work. Um, uh, it's, uh, it's very impressive, and, and we appreciate your, your uh, commitment to uh, doing the research and, and, and raising uh, awareness on these issues. Jane? Oh, wait. Um, I forgot. Oh, I'm sorry. I forgot one that's really important. Please. There's an organization called Changing Faces, and they are based in the U.K., but they have a tremendous amount of resources for men and women and children for who have disfigurement from any cause. So I don't want to wow. leave them out. They're fantastic. Great. Changing faces. Jane, I only have a quick minute. Tell me what you have to add for our listeners. Well, I'd like uh, folks to contact me if they're interested in more support. Um, I did start a company called Still Sassy. It's at stillsassy.com. This spring I'm going to be doing monthly luncheons, uh, beginning on a monthly level in D.C., around self-image. And they're going to be fun um, and and inventive. I'm also going to be doing a half-day workshop at the Corcoran Gallery and Museum the end of May, um, which will deal more intensely with issues around kind of reinventing yourself, um, addressing the whole person. And then just quickly, there's a great book called Fashion Feng Shui that even mm. Dr. Christy Northrup has loved about transformation and energy mm. and body. And also the Yin Project, Y-I-N Project with Rachel Jane Groover. She talks about femininity and power and vulnerability. Mm. And so right. aside from the wonderful resources Michelle has mentioned, I hope that those will be of value as well. 
Outstanding, outstanding. Um, ladies, I appreciate you joining us on the show today. Um, Michelle Coer Fingerette and Jane O. Smith um, for talking about these uh, body image issues, and thank you for references to all of those great resources. We'll make sure that folks uh, are aware of those. Um, and again, I just want to remind folks that um, at the cancer support community, we want to let folks know that you do not have to face cancer alone. We've got uh, beautiful centers around the country where we provide support groups, education, nutrition, exercise, stress reduction. We've got our helpline. If you want to um, access one of those open to options treatment decision counseling sessions, just call us at 888 888- 793-9355 or visit us at cancersupportcommunity.org. I'm Kim Tebaldo. This is Frankly Speaking About Cancer. Until next time, be well, do well, live well. Thank you for joining us for Frankly Speaking About Cancer with your host, Kim Tibaldo. We're here for you every Tuesday afternoon at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. In the meantime, stay connected online at cancersupportcommunity.org. That's cancersupportcommunity.org.